0: Welcome to the podcast at Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, for we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You know, we all want to be happy. All of us are seeking for happiness. That is the human condition. We are seeking for what will make us happy. Some look for that in riches, in money. Some look for that in in power, in status. Some look for that in popularity and fame. Some look for it in food and in pleasures. Jesus here today in our passage turns everything that we think about happiness on its head. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin another series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now we had uh, been going through Matthew, we had gone from chapter 1 to chapter 18, but we skipped 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount, to come back to it again. So we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. In this first section, it's called the Beatitudes. And it doesn't have to do necessarily with an attitude, but beatific, uh, you may have heard that term, it has to do with the Latin word for happiness. Jesus here is telling us how to be happy. Do you want to be happy? We can go along with what the world says. We can look at what Jesus says about being happy. Let's look at our text for Matthew 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, help us to feel the weight of Your glory as it shines forth from this text of Scripture. Lord, be with me, a sinner. I need Your grace as I preach Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated if you were standing. So, as we saw in Matthew chapters 1 through 4, a year ago or so, Jesus began His public ministry. He went forth and was baptized by John the Baptist, and then He went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after He left the wilderness, He began teaching, he was proclaiming the kingdom, he was healing, he was healing the blind and the deaf and the lame and the sick. He healed every kind of disease. And he taught. We have focused mainly up to this point when we looked at Matthew on his miracles. In chapter 5 through 7 it deals with his teaching. It's a very significant block of his teaching. It's famous. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, it says, he saw the crowds. Now, if you back up and you look at what comes before, he was healing so many people, and people were coming from everywhere to see him. He was healing, and he was just drawing all kinds of crowds. People from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and far beyond the Jordan. People were coming from everywhere. They were coming out of the woodworks. They wanted to see Jesus, this one who was working miracles. And He saw the crowds and He went up on a mountain. Now, the word for mountain in Hebrew, it can also mean a large hill. It's, a, it's kind of a, a broad Word. So when we think of mountain, don't think of the Rockies, this place of seclusion, but think of maybe a very large hill that Jesus went up on. Why did He go up on the mountain? Now in other places we see in Jesus' life, He went away to be secluded whenever He had been spending time in ministry, healing. He would go away and withdraw to spend time with His Father. So maybe that's what he was doing. It also could be possible, since it was this large hill, maybe he was getting up high so that other people could see him. This large crowd was gathered around. He goes up high so that people can look up and see him. We don't know what the answer is, but he was up on a hill. Now, from verse 1, we get the impression that this was just the disciples that he was with at this time. It says, and, he, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him and He began teaching them. So was it just the disciples that was there? You look at the end of chapter 7, and in chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So which was it? Was it just the disciples or was it the crowds? I don't know. Maybe He started with just His disciples that were there. And the longer He taught, the more people came because you couldn't keep them away. They wanted to see Jesus and they just came. When Jesus tried to withdraw and go to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You know, He went across in a boat and people went around the lake to be able to get to Him on the other side. You couldn't keep people away from Jesus. So Jesus went up on this mountain and He opened His mouth and He taught them. And He taught them how to be happy. This word for happy or blessed in the Hebrew, it's that same word that he begins, that the, uh, the, the, um, the psalmist begins chapter 1 that says, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the path of sinners. How blessed. How happy. It's talking about happiness. Do you want to be happy? Of course. We all want to be happy. And this is how Jesus says. And it turns everything we think about happiness on its head. First of all, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world looks at happiness and thinks, well, if you want to be happy, you need money. You need riches. You need stuff. But Jesus says, to be blessed, you need to be poor. You need to be poor in spirit I think what Jesus is talking about is not necessarily monetarily poor but but it's poor in spirit it's recognizing our own spiritual poverty that we come to Jesus with nothing when he looks at us he is not impressed we are sinners to the core It is only by His grace that we can be saved. So we need to recognize our spiritual poverty. Do you want to be happy? And recognize that you are poor and needy. Some words that I think illustrate this are from the song Rock of Ages. And I looked at three different different hymnals. They all had different words, but basically the same idea. My favorite was what was in our red hymnal. Let me read it to you. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. We come to Jesus empty-handed. We have nothing to offer Him. We come poor. And He became poor. Poor. So that we might have all the richness of God. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you want to be happy? Then mourn. Again, Jesus turns our conventional idea of happiness on its head. How can he say, Do you want to be happy? Be sad. It doesn't make sense to us. But that's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who mourn. The world is a broken place. And we are broken people. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, the world is broken. We are under a curse. We, We live in a world with death and pain and sadness and sin disease. It is not right to live in denial of this fact. No, we should mourn over this fact. The world says if you want to be happy, then deny that fact of the brokenness of this world through entertainment Take your mind off of how broken this world is by watching movies, by keeping up with pop culture, who's doing what, and just pour yourself into entertainment. Numb the pain of the world, this broken world, this sinful world, with drugs and alcohol. That's what the world says you do to be happy. You live in denial of the reality of this world. But Jesus says, if you want to be happy, don't numb the pain. Don't live in denial, but mourn over it. Mourn over the brokenness of this world and mourn out of the brokenness in your own heart. We need to mourn over our own sins. We have all committed atrocities against The Lord Jesus Christ, our Maker. He has given us His Word. He has told us how we are to live and we have all broken it and we all would stand condemned under the law if it were not for the the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. So we mourn. We mourn over sin in the world. We mourn over sin in our own hearts. And that is the way to happiness. To be saved, to have salvation, we have to mourn over the fact that we have broken God's law and sit under the just condemnation of Him. Next, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this doesn't seem all that different to us, but probably just because we have mostly grown up in a culture that has been influenced by Christianity. In the ancient world, to be meek is not something to be looked up on. You wanted to be somebody who was assertive and pushed your way around. That was the way to be happy, to insist on your own rights, not to be meek, not to be humble. Jesus says, the way to be happy is not to stand up for your rights, but it's to be meek and to let others be first. When put in that way, we understand how it turns our idea of happiness on its head. All of us are so selfish. We want our way, and we don't want to wait on our way. But Jesus says we are to be meek we are to be humble just as he was verse L and what happens what happens when we are meek we will inherit the earth when we don't demand our way when we don't demand our rights we can sit back and be confident because god will vindicate us and we will inherit the land we will inherit The earth. We will be raised and we will live with Jesus forever reigning with Him. We will inherit the earth. And I skip this. When we mourn, we will be comforted. When we mourn over our sin, when we mourn over the sin in this world, Jesus promises us comfort. Then verse, seven, blessed are, oh, and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We don't think of hunger and thirst as something to make us happy. Have you ever been hungry? You want to eat something to be happy. You want to eat something to become satisfied. But Jesus here says that the, the Christian someone who trusts in Him, we will be happy when we are hunger and when we thirst. We are still sinful people. Even though we have trusted in Christ, even if we have been born again, we hunger and we thirst because we are still tainted by sin. We still do sin. We want and we long for this life to come to that culmination when Jesus glorifies us and makes us like Himself, where we no longer sin, where we no longer are sad. We hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We long to be made like Jesus. And through the process of sanctification, Jesus makes us more and more like Him in this world. So, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have that partially fulfilled. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we become transformed more and more into the image of Jesus to be made perfectly righteous one day when He comes again. So, those who hunger and thirst, For righteousness will be satisfied. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want to hold a grudge? You want to hate someone who's wronged you? And and I don't mean a perceived wrong, I mean a real wrong. If someone has really wronged you, it's only hurting you To harbor unforgiveness. You want to be happy like Jesus said? Be merciful. You won't be happy through revenge. You won't be happy through holding a grudge. Jesus says to be happy is to be merciful. And I think of the unforgiving servant, which was in Matthew 18. The last sermon we had before we broke and came back to the Sermon on the Mount. The unforgiving servant, this servant, owed his master something of the equivalent of $2 billion. He'd never be able to pay it back. And so he went to his master and he pleaded, Forgive me of this debt. I I can't. I, I go to prison. I'll never pay it off. And the master has mercy. He lets him go. Yet that unforgiving servant, he goes and he finds someone who owes him maybe just a day's wages compared to this $2 billion. And this unforgiving servant grabs him by the throat, strangles him, and says, give me what you owe me. He takes him and he locks him up in prison until he should pay the last cent. And the master heard what this unforgiving servant had done. And he grabs him and he says, how dare you, you've been forgiven so much. And he throws him into jail. He throws away the key and says, you won't be out until you've paid the last cent. If we want to be forgiven by Jesus, we have to be forgiving people. We have to forgive those who wrong us. Not just perceived wrongs either. If we want to be happy, we need to be merciful. And then we will receive mercy. Now blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. This again is something that challenges the conventional thinking, and not because we disagree with it. Oh, to have a clean conscience. Oh, to have a pure heart. But the problem here is none of us have one. We are all sinners. We all have filthy hearts. Jer- Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? We are all people who need a new heart. And when we trust in Jesus, we are given a pure heart. He washes us clean. He puts a new heart in us. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. You want to be happy? You need a new heart. You come to Jesus with empty hands. You come mourning over your sin. And He puts in you a clean heart. You want to be happy? We need a pure heart. For they shall see God. Is that your desire? Do you want to see God? Do you want to stand there and behold the face of Him who died for you? We need a pure heart. And that can't come by our keeping laws. It can only come when Jesus gives us a new heart through the new birth of trusting in Jesus. Verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is popular. The words are anyway. When we think of blessed are the peacemakers, we think of hippies, peace out, man. We think of peace and love. We think of the absence of war. Well, let me give you another idea of peace. Peacemaking. You know, the Colt forty-five was called a peacemaker. You have a peacemaker because if you're armed, nobody's going to mess with you, are they? It's the peacemaker. So blessed are the peacemakers. But in the Christian life, we're peacemakers because Jesus has called us to a ministry of reconciliation. We proclaim to a world that is lost and dying and going to hell that God has reconciled Himself to us through the blood of His Son, Jesus. And we go and we proclaim this message of peace that God has made with us. And we tell people, all you have to do is trust in Jesus. Trust in Him, what He has done. And we are making peace. How blessed are the peacemakers. When we go out and we do evangelism, when we share the Gospel of what Jesus has done, Through his cross, we are making peace. We have a ministry of reconciliation. And then finally, this is probably the most radical of all. Blessed are you, or blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't stop there. Blessed Are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You want to be happy? Jesus says to be happy to be persecuted. What a radical thought. When we see the way the world is today, when we, when we see how we are called bigots for saying this is what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality, and they revile us. They throw slander upon us simply because we say, No, this is what God says. We cannot change what God says. When people lose their businesses, when people are given fines of hundreds of thousands of dollars that puts them out of business because they wouldn't violate their conscience, is that supposed to make us happy? It does. It does. I imagine those, those people who are experiencing those things can think, I'm suffering with Jesus. Jesus went through all that for me. And I can be counted worthy of suffering with Him. For the sake of His name. And I'll tell you another reason why suffering, persecution brings happiness. Do you want to know that your salvation is real? Do you want to know that you're not just a gospel hypocrite? Let persecution come on. And if you stand firm, you'll know. The parable of the sower, when, when Jesus tells about how, how the, the, the seed was thrown on the, on the path and on the rocky soil and on the, on the thorny soil and on the good soil, What did he say the rocky soil was? It's that soil that people sprung forth and believed and and had some kind of an initial response, but when persecution came, they withered. They went away. Do you want to know you're real? Do you want to know your salvation is secure? Suffer persecution. And when you stand firm in the midst of it, you know Because you don't have the ability to hold on to Jesus if you're not real. If you're just a fake. Suffer persecution. That can bring us joy. That can bring us happy. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. For so they persecuted Jesus before you. A a servant is not above his master. If they hated him, they will hate us. If the world hates you, if the world reviles you, if the world persecutes you, know that they are doing it because they hated Jesus before you and you are bearing his image. So, you want to be happy? This is what Jesus says it takes to be happy. You can hold on to what the world says you need to be happy, accumulating wealth. You can hold on having all the comforts of food and all the best of clothing and stuff. You can live an easy life away from suffering and persecution. Or you can walk the way of the cross. That's where we find happiness. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.